Good morning. I'm not used to standing behind something, so we'll see. I, I tend to wander, so hopefully you wander. So I just want to take uh, a moment to thank you. I know Lynn and Rhonda Greenwald, and they have been familiar with the ministry I work at before I worked there. And so Forge, used to be called Kingdom Building Ministries, started in Marion, Indiana in 1986. We have one purpose, to chain and equip and call kingdom laborers for the kingdom. We believe that when Jesus looked out on the crowds and he said the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, that he wasn't just calling preachers. He was calling like plumbers and carpenters and electricians and doctors and nurses and lawyers and school teachers and bus drivers, all of us. And kingdom laboring is, I think, one of the most empowering messages that there is because no one's excluded. Doesn't matter your education, how much money you make, where you live, how old you are, your past doesn't matter. You are useful for the kingdom. I hope if nothing else this morning, you get that message. And so that's why we exist. We send out teams of speakers around the world to speak at events. And we do discipleship training for uh, adults, but in the summer, particularly for high school students and post-high school students. So if you know a high school student who is ready to go deep with God and not afraid to be challenged, but wants to experience God in the mountains of Colorado, we would love to talk with them because uh, we've seen it uh, really be transformational. The reason I, I say that is because, according to a Barnum study, of all the people that call themselves Christ followers, only 16% are involved in any kind of kingdom advancing activity. 16%, that means 84% of people are just kind of on cruise control a little bit with God. They're not involved in anything. It's advancing, moving the kingdom forward. Yet that was a prayer of Jesus' heart. Lord, pray, pray, we need more labors. God's like unemployment list is, is, there's no more workers. We need more. And so that's where we're going to come from this morning. Uh, there's a little information. We, our founder wrote a book called Your God's Plan A, and there isn't any plan B. And so I brought some free audio books. There's a few of them out on the out on the, I guess you're in the Welcome Center there. Uh, first come, first serve. You're welcome to take an audio book. And, uh, and I'd be happy to talk with you afterwards. So that's a privilege for me to be here and to share with you this morning. To do that, we are going to use, uh, as an example, Moses. Moses is one of my, Moses took a selfie, by the way, while he was uh, near the Red Sea. But Moses is one of my favorite characters because he had, you know, he had great highs and lows in his life. I mean, he experienced tremendous success, and he experienced times of just utter, really, failure. He, when people were rallying around him, and his ego, I'm sure, was being boosted to, I'm worthless and nothing. So I can relate to him, and maybe some of you can too, of it, just the highs and lows that he experienced in life. But as I was studying and learning about Moses, I learned something that you probably didn't realize, and that much like JFK and Elvis, that El uh, Moses isn't dead. In fact, he's traveling around the country with his brother Aaron as he's in top. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, every Egyptian girl's crazy about him, a shark dressed man. So, you get that for nothing. And, you know. Here's the deal when you're a guest speaker, you can't really fire me. What can we learn from the life of Moses that will help us engage in kingdom laboring? 
There's four lessons I want to draw from this morning. They, they, they apply to me, and so I often tell people when I'm speaking, I'm speaking to me because I have issues. But I think there's four big hurdles that we tend to have to get over, roadblocks I would call them, to kingdom laboring. And we're going to dive into those a little bit. So let's just pray again this morning as, as we look into God's word. Father, uh, we just ask that your spirit would be here, that, that you would speak to us. And not only speak to us, Lord, but give us the courage to be obedient. Lord, we, may we feel a new sense of urgency to be laborers in your kingdom. To spread the news that everyone desperately needs to hear. Teach us this morning, I pray in your name. Amen. So forgive me if I have to turn around every once in a while to see if he's not putting funny pictures of me up behind. Four lessons for King of Labor. Number one, your past can get in the way. Your past can put you in run and hide mode. If you look at Moses, what is what look at his life? He is he's living in the in the king's house. He's got it pretty good, right? He's grown up as royalty and he gets to be about 40 years old and he realizes one day when he's out and he's watching these workers and these slaves, he realizes, these are my people. And he has begins to be moved with compassion and even though he's royalty and he's next in line, I mean, he's he's got, his future looks bright. And he goes out and he sees one of his fellow men being abused and beaten and he gets ticked off to the point he commits murder. He commits murder, and I think he thinks he's gotten away with it. And the next day, somebody said, well, weren't, weren't you the guy? Weren't, weren't you that guy? And what happens to Moses? He runs. Our past can put us in run and high mode. Look what it says. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses, what, fled from Pharaoh and went to Libyan, Libyan or Midian, he sat down by a well and he becomes a sheep farmer. And he, and he raises sheep for 40 years. Our past can do that to us. Why? He's going to stay there and he just he, he got away. I don't have to answer any questions anymore. And nobody's going to bring up the fact that I did that or I don't have to, to face my past. I don't have to potentially engage in the new stuff and fail again. I'm I, I just, our past can just kind of stuck us away, stick us away and leave us in that little safe zone of we just don't have to face anything. And that's what Moses was doing. For 40 years, he farms and he raises sheep and he never has to go back to Egypt and never has to face those people and never has to raise any questions and never has to imagine that look that is people's eye because of what you've done. You've seen it. You've seen the look in their eye. And as we're going to see in a moment, God had not forgotten what he was going to do with Moses. Because there's a key thing that we need to remember. Your past, as real as it is, does not disqualify you to be a kingdom laborer. Your past does not disqualify. Look at the verse that we often quote, sometimes misquote, by the way. In Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, that declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. When you see the context of that verse, the people had messed up. They had been sinning and they had been in utter rebellion. 
Yet God looks at them and essentially says this, there is nothing that you can do to make me forget why I made you. See, your past does not disqualify you. I have here this morning a $20. Would anybody like $20? Really? Sorry, I've raised my children and I've had that handout. No more. But, you know, you see a $20 bill and you, you know, fold it up and all crinkly and it's kind of ugly now. Anybody want this $20? It's dirty and cruddy. Now anybody want it? Why? Because this $20 bill, doesn't matter what it's been through, has not lost a penny of its value. And neither have you. Neither have you. See, not only does your past not disqualify you, but there's one more thing. It doesn't excuse you either. Because we're going to see in a moment, God says he's got some plans for Moses. And so your, your past, if you're not careful, can get you stuck and you stay there and you just are content to wallow and really waste away when God says, I see you as valuable. I need you. You're useful to me. Too many of us stay stuck in our past. So the question really this morning is, but can we get past the point we all have junk? Every one of it. No, not one person in here has their act together, including starting with me. We all have stuff. Question is, will you let God deliver you from it so you can move forward? That's the first roadblock. A lot of times, people we got to get past our past. Now, there's a second roadblock, and it's one we face. And it's this, this roadblock, it's called, it's all up to me. This is going to happen, I'm going to have to pull it off. And Moses, now he's leading this group of people, and I, I love some of the things that he gets himself into. And let's face it, if you know anything about people, that's what, and I help pastor church. I mean, God has a sense of humor like crazy. But I'm helping pastor a small church, and the church would be great if there weren't people in it. But, amen? Okay. But so Moses is leading this group of people, and you're probably familiar with the story. They get to the point they've been eating manna, 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 which is not donuts like I had out there. I don't know what it is, but some kind of flat paste bread. And they're tired of it. They want meat. And they want meat really bad, so they're complaining and complaining and complaining about meat. And God says, they want meat? I'm going to give them meat. They're going to have meat for a month. It's going to come out their nostrils. And so Moses, I love what he says. This is in Nehemiah. I don't think it's on your screen. But this is how Moses reacts. And it's like we react. Moses said, here I am. He's talking to God. Here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And you say, God, I'll give them meat to eat for a month. Would they have enough if the flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? And God said, oh, my word, you're right, Moses. I can't do that. For a second, I thought it was God. No. I love what it says. Is the Lord's arm too short? Like Moses is going off like, this is up to me. How am I going to come up with food for everybody? How am I going to get, we don't have enough. We don't. <laughs> have you felt like that? You get worn out. You get worn out. 
And God says, oh, I guess I thought I was going to help. And so we see that. And now Moses, now we're back to this story where, you remember the burning bush. And so he's, he's been 40 years. He's raising sheep. He comes across one day and there is a, there's a bush. It's not burning up. And God begins to talk to him. And God starts to say some things that Moses, I think, gets excited about. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. They've been in slavery for 400 years. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey and the home of the Canaanites and all the ites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are pressing. Now, Moses, I can imagine at this point saying, you bet, God. It's time. Let's go in and kick some Egyptian tail. It's about time. Those people get what they deserve. And I can see Moses being all excited. Yeah, let's go get them. And then we hit verse 10. We come to verse 10. It says this. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh. And boy, that's when the butts begin. Uh, But, 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 I mean, that's a, uh, oh, whoa, whoa. Uh, But I can't see. God, I mean, I'm not very good with people. I can't talk. I mean, but what if they, what if they don't believe me? What if they, what if they say that's not right? What if they, blah, 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 blah. And finally, it's amazing. If you get on this chapter, Moses says to God, can you please just send somebody else? Have you ever said that? Have you ever felt it? Talk, you know, I won't ask you to answer out loud. But really, can, God, I, can you please just, please just send someone? That's a great idea. I like the concept, God. I like the concept. you got a good idea there. But send somebody else to do it. See, Moses judged what was possible based on his own strength and his own abilities. And that is so often what we tend to do. We, we are really good at judging probabilities. If we, if we have all this stuff together, I, I think we can pull this off. And we act like God's got himself in over his head and thinking, Lord, I don't know if you realize that, but I don't think that's possible. And we, we tend to think and we act like that. And so we judge what we can even engage in for God and the kingdom because we can't see it happening. And God's saying, yeah, have you noticed throughout Scripture, God calls people that are not equipped to do much. Those are his type of people. Why? Because he's going to equip you if he... When he calls you, if you'll just be willing to say yes, really, what's he asking of Moses? Will you join me in this or not? Will you join? I got, I got a great plan. I need you. And first, Moses' reaction is, no, 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 no. And he's like, oh, my word. But we do it, don't we? I've done it. I've done it. There's an important lesson, though. Why does God so often call us and call people who aren't equipped? So people see God, not us. People see him. That's the point, isn't it? I don't care. You might be a great person, but on your best day, people don't need you. They need God. They need him flowing through you to them. That's what people need. And so look at the, I love this passage of scripture where God begins to share with Moses. Look what's in. I want you to understand. I've got him underlined how many times and look who's doing the work. Therefore, say to the Israelites, God talking to Moses, I am the Lord 
and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from the slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And with the mighty acts of judgment, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you'll know that I am the Lord your God. Who is doing the work? How many times do we as God's people engage in stuff and we act like God, it's not possible. It's not about us. We want to do great things for God and take bold steps of faith forward so people see Him, not us. One of our speakers, Caleb Bislow, he's, uh, he likes to go into the deep, dark, dangerous places of the world. He says this, for some of us in ministry, we have resumes full of what God, we did for God, but I would rather have a resume full of what God did through me. So let me ask you this morning, is your life a testament to what you can do or to what God can do through you? Do you judge everything by what you think is possible and what you think is probable? Or do you step into the realm of the impossible? That's the second thing. This, this whole attitude it's up to me. But this third one, and I don't really like this third one, to be honest with you, but it's, it's a preoccupation with a comfortable life. This pattern of the Israelites, if you remember, they, they, God leads them out of Egypt and they're following Moses and they go, if things go great, until they hit hardship, then what happens? They want to go back to Egypt. Now let me ask you, what were they doing in Egypt? They were what? They were slaves. I know people, I bet you too, too that are perfectly willing to stay in places of hurt and pain and addiction because why? They're good at it. I believe that's one of the problems the Israelites had. They were good at being slaves. They knew how to do it. Look at the scripture with me. Uh, This is almost funny if it wasn't true. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? And I imagine if you're a leader and your people are telling you this, you say, I'm looking for another job starting tomorrow. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. There's another one here. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and we ate food and all we wanted, but you had brought us out here in the desert to starve this assembly to death. Really, they want to go back to being slaves. Why? Because they had Big Macs. You know, well, no, so they had Chick-fil-A, except on Sundays. They, I mean, they wanted to go back. Why? Just, I know, uh, but I know that's a great, uh, let's, can we just stay back here? Sometimes we respond to God that way. I find I do. Lord, I'll do whatever you want. I, I will follow you. But, I mean, don't, don't mess with the plans I have for my children a little bit. And, and really, I kind of got this career path thing set. And I, I, so I just appreciate if you didn't touch that too much. And then don't mess with these other goals that I have. because For heaven's sakes, don't get my wallet because I got, I got plans for that. And don't make me change. Don't make me change. Don't make me do anything too hard. But Lord, I'll serve you. Here's a problem. A life based on comfort is a small one. A life based on comfort is a small life. Look at what God is telling these people. He's saying, I want to bring you out of Egypt. I want to give you your own land. A land that flows with milk and honey. We're going to conquer kings. We're going to rout armies. You're going to have freedom and growth and liberation like your people have not seen in centuries. 
And they say what? That's too hard. Well, there's not even a Starbucks in Canaan. Six and a half years ago, I was a custom home builder in Fort Wayne. I spent my whole life in Fort Wayne. That's where my family's from. And through God's wild, weird sense of humor, he says, I'd like you to shut your company down, move to work at this ministry, and go raise support and, and move to Colorado. Now, I'm not telling you this because there's anything special about me. There isn't. But God and I had a few intense conversations over that. And I was, to me, like, uh, <laughs> great idea, wrong guy. But here's what I know. But there came a point in my life my wife's life, where well, we knew God was saying, this is what I'm asking of you. But when you hit that point in your life, there are really only two answers. You can say yes, or you can say no. Everything else is pretty much rationalizing. And we did not want to wake up one day and say, we knew we should have done that, and we didn't, because you can't get those years back. And I know this, if I wouldn't have said yes, I wouldn't be standing here this morning. I wouldn't have seen some young people this summer be delivered from stuff that had been done to them as a young person that no young person should ever have to go through. To been set free by forgiving other people. God often calls us, I love what John Ortberg says, God has an inexhaustible habit of calling us to things that are scary. There's nothing special about me. There's a lot of me sitting out here. God's saying, Will you, are you willing to step out of your comfort zone? Are you willing to push past this life that you know how to do and step forward with me? It, he may call you somewhere else. He may leave you right where you are. That's not really the point. Will you say yes to step forward with me? So let me ask you this question. What impossible thing are you engaged in that has you uncomfortable for God. What impossible thing are you engaged in this morning that has you uncomfortable for God? Is there anything? So your past can get you stuck. This whole attitude of it's all up to me can get you stuck. This life of comfort can get you stuck. And there's one last one that I really, I just, I wrestle with all the time. And some of you do. And maybe, and maybe it's that. It's this. The grip of fear and control. The grip of fear and control. For this, I come, this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture from Exodus 2. And we have Moses' mom, so watch this. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months, but when she couldn't hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch, and she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And what was happening here was the, the slaves, the, the Hebrew people, apparently one thing they were really good at is having children. Because they were just, they were growing like crazy. And the, and the rulers are saying, well, these people are going to, they're going to take it, they're going to overtake us. So he says to the midwives, if there's a, Boy child comes out when you give birth, kill him. Well, the Hebrew midwives, they, they, weren't, they, they didn't do that. But now, so Moses is born, and his mother is hiding him. 
Because otherwise, if he discovered, he's going to be killed. And I think we read this passage of Scripture sometime, and we lose the emotion. How many of you have had children in this room? So, so picture this. I mean, I, this is what I see. I see Moses' mother, and Moses is in the, in the basket, and she's standing at the river with her child. Can you imagine what she's feeling at that moment? Now, what does she know? If I hold on to this child, he's going to die. He won't be discovered. If I put him in the water, he might die. He might die. But she realized one other important thing. If I put him in the water, he might live. See, Moses' only hope was that she let go. Some of us live in a world that's no larger than what we can control. We can try to control our spouse. We can try to control our kids. We, we try and, and to manipulate, control all those people at work. We might be controlled by an addiction or a substance or pornography or power, position. But here's the deal. If you stay in that box, you're going to die. Your wife, your spouse will check out. They might leave. They might not leave physically. They're going to check out. Your kids will rebel. Those people that you thought you could have an influence on at work and that you wanted hope, you're just going to become that bitter old person that lives down the hall and has that office that nobody wants to talk to. That addiction will eat away at you until there's nothing left of you. Your only hope is to let go. And now that puts you square in the face of, am I going to trust God or not? Now that's... There's a book, I don't know if some of you guys have read it. This is, it's called, If You Want to Walk on Water, you got got to get out of the boat. I read this book first in 2000. I debated whether to share this with you this morning. It's had a huge impact on my life because I struggle with control. And I realize I control because I don't want to trust God. And here's what this, I'm going to read this paragraph because maybe it speaks to you some of this morning. If you live in fear, you will never experience the potential that God has placed in you. As we have seen, growth always involves risk, and risk always involves fear. I had lunch recently with a friend who is clearly being called by God to do some tremendous things in life. He is an enormously gifted person, a talented artist and terrific writer, yet he is in a job that is killing him. It doesn't call on his greatest abilities. It has no passion for it. He's just punching his clock. Why does he do it? Fear. More specifically, fear of failure. What if he tries something new and it doesn't work? What if he can't make enough money? What if the people think he's foolish? What if it turns out to be not as gifted as he thought? So until he can get some ironclad guarantee and everything works out exactly right, until all risk is removed, he will stay where he is and stagnate. And this is what caught me. Eventually, if this pattern does not change, it will come time for my friend to retire. He will be relieved to quit. He will try to be as comfortable as he can for the remaining years of a life, and he will have never done what God created him to do. He will never have become what God created him to be. Fear will cost him his destiny. That is too high a price. See, some of us are trapped because we 
can't bring ourselves to trust this God that we happily sing about every single week. And yet when it comes time for the rubber, we believe everybody else should trust Him. Don't get me wrong. But when you're staring in the mirror, God, will you trust me? Will I let go? Now here is the cool part. Maybe the coolest part of all Scripture. And it's this. Moses' mother lets go and God does some big God stuff. Now this is fantastic. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter. So his sister had followed around. They got the, they got the river thing going there. She's facing the sister sees that Pharaoh's daughter has rescued Moses. Shall I go and let one of the Hebrew men nurse, uh, women nursing for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him and I will pay you. Now I don't know what Moses' mom was thinking when she let go of that child, but I can, can you see her in her living room sobbing? Great hurt and great pain. And someone walks in and said, would you like to have your child back? And get paid? I mean, I don't know. I would love to have been in that planning meeting in heaven. This is how my mind works. But I can see them all sitting around and I can see them up there thinking, man, if she'll just let go. Oh, if she, how about if she lets go? How about if we give her a kid back? Yeah, that's a great I can see, let's throw it in cash. See, you and I celebrate story after story like that in Scripture, but here's the reality. Most of us will never give God the chance to do it. Because when the going gets hard, when we're asked to do something out of our comfort zone, or asked to do something that God says is bigger than you can imagine, when we're asked to let go and let go of our fear and let go of our control and trust God, we say, I don't think I can do that. Will you let go this morning? So here's what, here's what I'm going to give you an opportunity to do. I believe that had, I believe God had a blast that day doing that. I thought, man, this is going to be fun, guys. She's going to get, she's going to get paid to watch her own kid. She ain't thinking that. What's God maybe want to do with you? If he say, I've got some kingdom laboring for you to do. I've got useful, you're useful to me in my kingdom. There's work to be done. I need you. What is it maybe that you need to let go of this morning so God can begin to do something amazing in your life? So God can say, let's move forward together. You've got a three by five card, I think, somewhere. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to just write something down. And if you're saying this morning, you know what? It's time for me to let go of this past that I've been hanging on to. I'm not going to be identified by it any longer. If you're saying, I just, I, I can never get past the, I don't think this is possible side of God. I'm stuck in my comfort and it's leading me to this small little life. I just need to trust God. I'm going to give you a chance to literally write that down while Rhonda plays. Just drop it in this basket. Just like Moses' mom did said, you know, enough is enough today. I'm letting go. God, do what you want. What is it this morning? I'll give you a chance to do that while she plays. You know, I know uh, you guys are kind of waiting on a new pastor or in that whole process, and Matt, Matthew's been so kind to be a part of it. And I keep thinking, and I've been part of those churches like that, and if I could just share with you, uh, just really honestly this morning, 
you know, it's easy for us in those moments to just say, well, man, when the new pastor gets here, then he'll get us going and he'll get us stirred up and he'll get us moving. And my question this morning, what would it look like for your new pastor to get here and find a group of people who are sold out, turned on, not afraid of fear, not afraid to be stuck, not afraid to move past the comfort, not afraid to believe that he can do more than you can ask or imagine to give people their children back and let them get paid. What would it be like if he came to a group of people like that? I would say look out Greenfield. I would say look out. God says, you don't need to figure out how to get it done. Let go, give it to me. I'm fully capable. I've got a good track record. Let me do something that will blow your mind. That's my hope and my prayer for this church, for this community, that God will be put on display in such a way that people are left with no other explanation except, must be God. Must be God. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys.